Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my very good friend, Selena Kulkarni from The Land Down Under. Hi, Selena. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back on. Thank you very much for coming. I was, uh, <laughs> you, all, you were talking, you, it's next day in Australia. Uh, funny how it works. Uh, you live in tomorrow and I live in, I guess, in today or as far as you're concerned, I'm in the day behind and you're day ahead. Uh, oh, it's a total mind bender. And I've been to the States twice in the last month. So that's even worse because I uh, I get younger than I get older as I come back. Well, you made a couple of courageous trips. It was certainly great to see you uh, both in New York and then uh, in California for that uh, very best summit. So um, let's jump straight into the discussion. Uh, the first question: What's what's new in the world of Selena? Just to, and then we'll jump into uh, all other discussion topics. Wow, what's new? So um, I'm still coming off the back of uh, the two international trips from Australia over to the states. Um, it is such a, a a great experience to be there and to be on the ground and looking at real deals and rubbing shoulders with you know, real deal makers, there's, there's no substitute for that. Um, but it's also, it's quite taxing. I think as I get a bit older, the, uh, the jet lag seems to, um, wear me down a little more, but, um, those trips were definitely kind of the, uh, the highlight of the last probably six to 12 months from a, from a business perspective, uh, really helped me cement a lot of friendships, a lot of relationships and, you know, bring uh, a little more vigor and confidence to the investing rules that, you know, as investors, we're all trying to cultivate. Yeah, that's, first of all, it took a lot of courage to bring a large group, uh, <laughs> 20, 25 people from Australia and New Zealand to, to the States and New York. Uh, besides the fact that it's a long journey, it's also a lot of logistical work. So um, great <laughs> organizational work. And we certainly uh, we're delighted to see you here in New York. So what did your investors think? What is their kind of observation perception uh, of, I guess, their trip to the States and then, I guess, market conditions? What What's happening economically? And it's probably not just here, everywhere in the world. We, we seem to be in this age of, of, of uh, post-pandemic, high-inflation environment, all the governments are raising interest rates or the central banks are raising interest rates. So what's their observation? How, how are they perceiving this? That's a really, uh, it's a great question. And it's it's probably got many levels to it. I think the um, the big challenge for a lot of investors in, in my part of the world is that the idea of alternative investing in itself is quite scary. Um, add to that the fact that you're taking money offshore and you've got foreign currency considerations makes it <clears throat> even more challenging. So for me, the trip to New York really represented an opportunity for people to understand the world of alternative investments backed by real property from a, a grassroots level. And I think if I were to articulate in, in as few words as possible, what I think people mostly got from the, you know, the the time that we spent in New York 
was confidence. Um, confidence in the investment opportunities, confidence in the deal makers, confidence in the way these projects and deals are structured and run. And when I say that, I, I really, I think one of the things that distinguishes a lot of you guys from what, you know, other deal makers and other um, wannabe real estate professionals do is that you are thinking strategically about how to adapt strategy given the market conditions. And as you've pointed out, there's a bit of a, a pretty nasty storm brewing at the moment. Um, I don't think the fallout has been complete. And so there's a lot of fear in the market. And so if you can, as an investor, kind of wrap your head around how is the person I'm investing with managing that risk? How is that person um, creating um, exit ramps and um, you know ways of making sure that the principal capital that investors are putting into deals remains safe? Then I think you know it, it puts you in a position where you can confidently continue to execute on good deals regardless of the market conditions. Wow, a lot of great nuggets uh, from the interest rate exchange, which is kind of a funny point, the way uh, US dollar strengthened versus many other currencies, including um, Australian uh, dollar, has been yeah. uh, tremendous. And in, in the, the returns in terms of U US dollars converted to your currency um, could make a big difference. In almost, it's almost to the point where the exchange rate would give you more return than the actual return. Well, at least it has happened during a lot of dollar strengthening, U.S. dollar strengthening. But then the the other really important point that that, that you you stated, and I, I go back and I think about this all the time: um, safety of the principal. Right back to the basic definition of the investment. It, it's an operation uh, which there is a safety of the principal and then an adequate rate of return. This is Benjamin Graham. Back to the fundamental investing and. It's getting harder to uh, justify safety of the principle uh, when the the environment is what it is, because um, the the general uh, return expectation has gotten weaker. Uh, this returns on equity have gotten weaker when in rising interest rate environment, and certainly has gotten uh, uh, it's gotten it's gotten harder to make investment decisions. But I agree with you. the The focus on on safety is is the is the most paramount exercise. In this market, you still want to invest, just don't lose money. That's the rule number one. And uh, I hear you. So let's continue uh, this discussion. Of course, it always starts with people, and um, you rightfully pointed out. And this is you being leader of your tribe that you focus on. The selection of the folks that uh, you work with, your, your trusted advisors, the folks that you believe are good stewards of of the investment capital. Um, how do you go about choosing these folks? Number one, number two. Uh, of course, having your investors come out and um, break some bread and 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 rub some some elbows makes all the difference in the world. So again, back to your investors' position. Now they feel better. Are they more likely to act simply because they've had the trip uh, or are they still cautious and they're going to sit and wait for some stabilization event like Fed saying we're done raising interest rates? So what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, to answer the first part of the question, which is how do I identify 
um, or curate, you know, opportunities for for my tribe. Um, I, I will be the first to say, I mean, I've been investing in the US for 15 years now and I've had plenty of cuts and bruises, especially when I first started out. I didn't, you know, it's it's that whole thing of, you know, don't don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, for me, it's kind of been baptism of fire, really, as far as learning the hard way about how to cultivate really strong investing rules and investing criteria. So, you know, the lesson that I kind of, you know, a little bit of a broken record in my tribe is, you know, you've got to be really clear what you will and won't invest in. And so there's a process you have to go through to cultivate a set of rules and regardless of market conditions, maybe if anything, you tighten the rules, but, you know, you don't deviate from those rules. And so if I were to look across the suite of people I call trusted advisors, majority of those have come through personal introductions, through, uh, you know, people whom I know, like, and trust and who can verify um, from a, not so much from a, uh, I guess, any perspective other than I've had great experiences over an extended period of time. And then obviously it's up to me to to do some additional due diligence and make sure that, you know, those people are, you know, what they say they are. But, um, you know, I get approached all the time by people claiming that they can, you know, provide rainbows and unicorns for my investors. And essentially I, I've just learned to cultivate a slightly skeptical probably perspective on most deal operators. What I have witnessed over the last probably five to seven years is the market has become flooded with deal operators and deal sponsors looking for capital, um, but who don't necessarily have the right track record or the right um, experience to navigate turbulence. And so I'm really looking for people who've kind of, you know, cut their teeth on a particular strategy. They're not trying to be everything to everyone. They're really niche, narrow, deep specializations. And I think if you can kind of um, adopt the the mindset of fewer betters, you know, I'm not looking for hundreds of deal trusted advisors for my group. I'm looking for, you know, maybe 20 to 30 exceptional investors who are, you know, ethically sound and who want to allow our investors to participate in their deals. Um, in terms of the second part of the question, which is where do my investors sit right now with their confidence? Are they are they sticking their heads in the sand? Are they fearful? And I would say that, you know, my focus is always education first. And so I think if you can demystify and really understand that, yes, the market has uncertainty right now. Yes, there's volatility right now, but there are still people out there who are you know, applying a reasonably high level of vigor to their underwriting processes for finding deals. And as you said before, if you're a smart investor right now, you recognize that there are fewer deals that meet your criteria now than there was, you know, three, four, five years ago. And so our group is still cautiously optimistic that deals, good deals are still out there. And that, you know, fear is something that, you know, there's there's no room for in as an investor. And so, you know, mindfulness 100% for sure. But 
fear is uh, is a different kettle of fish. And so what we want to do is we want to understand that there's no certainties, there's no guarantees. Uh, and, you know, all these people who are predicting what will happen next year, um, you've got to take all of that with a grain of salt. But outside of that, there's, there's still good deals with great downside protection that will allow you to earn a consistent, sustainable return. So, you know, I, I say to my guys all the time, don't chase yield. Don't chase yield. Look for a, a, an acceptable rate of return that you can live with that will continue to allow you to move towards your objectives. That's it. Wow. That's why we get along so well, because great minds think alike. Yeah. Uh, a lot of phenomenal nuggets. It's just fundamental uh, investing. And that, that, that's, that's, I just love how you think and how you you are spreading the great um, vibe and, and the great mindset uh, to your tribe. I mean, it starts with my, my mindset. Of course, if you can't wrap your mind around taking uh, certain risks, you can't invest. And, and don't invest into something you, you can't tolerate uh, the risk or you, you, you're you not comfortable to uh, manage or have that investment in your portfolio. And you're right, otherwise people can't sleep at night. At the end of the day, uh, these decisions are some, some level of substantial due diligence and some level of trust into the right operators. And again, uh, you do great, great work uh, filtering these folks. And I have to say, just with all the interactions we've had, uh, folks that work with you, um, they're in good hands. Let me put it this way, at least from my observation. Uh, let's continue the discussion a little bit. Um, and you're absolutely right that uh, there are still good deals today. And it, it's gotten somewhat harder to find them, but um, the opportunities are there. No, no question about it. Generally, the, the return, well, the yield on on equity in in, uh, in Australia is pretty low. The, the the yields kind of the cash flows from you can get from real property is low. Now, are folks looking for better yield here, or they're looking for better? Uh, obviously, alternatives is is, is not your uh, public markets. They're just just trying to get a little bit more beyond the fact that they 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 go with the trusted uh, advisors or folks that uh, you 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 know like and trust. Is this more of a focus on yield nowadays or some level of appreciation too or both? I'm just curious if the perception has changed uh, on an equity side and then on the debt side of folks uh, looking to park their cash into some kind of debt deals, generate the yield, ride the storm. Just curious to to hear what 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 have you been hearing lately? Yeah, so I would say the um, you know just for the benefit of people listening, the Australia New Zealand real estate market is, from what I understand, quite similar to something like New York. The uh, predominant reason for investing in these real estate markets is natural appreciation over time. So there's no question that as a an asset for wealth creation our real estate markets have proven to be very sound over the last 40, 50 years. Uh, where our market sort of falls down is in the provision of cash flow, even in the commercial space. You can get limited cash flow, if at all. You know, In many cases, real estate deals cash flow negatively, um, meaning you've got to put money uh, from your pocket to support the investment and hope that the growth comes later. So for most of the investors I work with, the reason that they're 
you know, attracted to the alternative real estate space is that it can deliver very, you know, sustainable cash flow, um, predictable cash flow that you can bank on. There are some deals that will pay cash flow monthly, sometimes quarterly, sometimes annually. But the the real, I, I guess, um, motivation for for going to the effort of taking your hard earned capital and putting it in an offshore opportunity is the metrics in the US market to create deals that will generate cash flow is unparalleled like it's it's really um quite unique and you know i'm i'm sure a lot of americans may take that for granted but um for us from from down under it, it's really what attracts us to that market in the first instance having said that when we come over there and we recognize that there are ways to engineer deals where you can not only get cash flow, but you can also engineer depreciation benefits and tax write-offs, and you can um, engineer them for forced appreciation and growth. That is also um, super attractive to investors. And in the current market conditions, what I understand is that, you know, while the market kind of writes itself the opportunity to find, you know, strong cash flowing deals is becoming more challenging. And so as an investor, I think you need to be adaptable. So even if cash flow is your primary objective and the deals that are being brought to the table maybe don't lend themselves as strongly to that, then you need to adapt. So, you know, I would say a lot of our guys now are leaning into deals where there are some, you know, appreciation plays maybe a little cash flow, but, you know, some good, strong appreciation or, or forced appreciation plays because that's what the market is offering up. Um, and even if your primary objective is cash flow, it doesn't mean to say you can't kind of circum circle back to that. Um, so it is the primary goal. And if you had to choose between a, a deal that's offering great cash flow and a deal that's offering growth, you know, I encourage my guys to stick with the cash flow, even if the growth as a return on investment is a higher percentage, because the primary motivation and the primary goal for our investors is that cash flow. Um, but I think it's really important to be adaptable, especially in the current market. Yeah, I appreciate the the insight. It is um, it's a great point. It's gotten harder to get cash flow. And back to your point, and I appreciate you recognizing this structuring deals with the preferred units and common units uh, that at least what we've been doing in our ecosystem, uh, it's exactly for that purpose uh, to shift the cash flow for those folks who don't need any happy with depreciation and tax benefits to those folks who need more of. And that that's what we've been doing with some of the recent deals. Uh, it's it's amazing and, and, and fascinating to hear that it, it actually matters uh, a lot to your tribe as they're focused on um, on cash flow. I mean, t t take any deal. Imagine half the people prefer half the people common, and the deal generates, for sake of the argument, 4% yield. So if common people took zero, and all that income went to preferred, and it was half, about half half of each, about equal amount, then it would, it would actually mean a lot to those who get the cash flow versus those who don't get any, if they get all the tax benefits. And the folks that, uh, if there was no structuring like this, the 4% yield might be not as attractive and may not, maybe a little boring. And in today's environment, it's gotten so much harder. The rates just changed the whole yeah. environment. A year ago, 
you could get half the rate, almost half the rate what people are paying now. And that impact on a cash flow is, is, is just uh, it's just humongous. So, but I, I, I'm going back to one of the key points you you mentioned is that don't let um, your investors focus on kind of bright and shiny objects or um, what did you call them unicorns and uh, rainbows and unicorns rainbows rainbows <laughs> unicorns. Yeah, I mean. They, I think to just clarify what I mean when I say that is I, I think there's a lot of people out there offering insane returns. Like I can get you 25% per annum and then you contrast that to a deal that's maybe offering 10 and, you know, as an investor on the, on the superficial, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to chase the 25, but I, I am hammering and, you know, I, as I said, I'm a bit of a broken record about not chasing the yield because you know 25% can become a complete loss of capital if yeah. if you're not careful yeah yeah it's it's the return is meaningless without the understanding of the risk when you're totally. going with the uh brilliant marketer who is probably not a, such a good operator they can do wonderful marketing documents and propose outstanding returns because that's that's all they can do they they can't really do a good job running the asset but they can do a good job uh, raising money for the project. And it's a great danger because the risk on those type of investments are, are humongous. And at the end of the day, 25% uh, projected return is a substantially inferior to another deal that generates 10% safely. So, because the principle, and if you lose the principle, the return is irrelevant at this point. Yeah, that's right. So, I, I think. Yeah. I just want to kind of round out by saying that one of the reasons that our tribe aligns very closely with you, Mike, is because I, I do see you as a, a trailblazer in the industry. You know, you're the first person I've worked with who is engineering deals to help different investors reach their objectives. And I think that's quite unique. And, you know, my experience with people like yourself, and I think this is what people want to look for, is you're more likely to understate the projected return and then outperform it rather than the other way around. And, and I think that kind of is an indicator of the strength of your, I, I guess, vigor around the due diligence piece. So I'd rather align with conservative investors rather than those that are unrealistically optimistic. Well, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to hear those words. Thank you so much. I, I'm grateful to you for your comments and uh, I do what I can. And, uh, I certainly enjoy uh, structuring these deals in a manner that serve investors better. Those who need cash flow get more of it, and those who need tax benefit get more of that. So, thank you kindly. Well, this episode, as great as it it it, it has been going, uh, the time is precious, and uh, I treasure your time. How would folks get a hold of you? We we were we are out of time. So, uh, what's the easiest way to reach out to Selena to join the tribe? The listening to this episode in the land down under or if they just have questions to follow up? Uh, well, look, I'm I'm on all the socials. I'm sure we can put those in the show notes. And I have my own podcast. So, um, yeah, encourage people to come listen to that as well, the Alternative Investing Podcast. That's awesome. Thank you, Selena. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Looking forward to uh, continue our great conversations and uh, talk to you soon again. Thanks, Mike. Great to be on. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's Slot name. 
Keep listening and keep investing. Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.